a beautiful song. I'd never heard that song before. A beautiful song, and uh, I have to say, God knows what he's doing, because that song ties in beautifully with the message this morning, right? God knows what he's doing, even if it didn't tie in with the message. But that was a beautiful song. Matthew chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. We're not going to stay there, but we're going to come back there. So keep your Bible open this morning. Matthew chapter 1 is where we'll start out. You know, I was in Walmart recently. I'm in, seems like I'm in there quite a bit. I should know the ladies by, at the door by name, but uh, they act like they know me personally because they see me so much. But uh, I was in there, and I was in, going up and down one of the aisles in Walmart, and I heard a lady say, and I didn't know the lady, but I heard her say to her young daughter who was in the buggy, said, look, there's Miss Langley's husband. <laughs> I don't mind one bit being known as Miss Langley's husband, right? As Brother Eric mentioned, Friday we celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and uh, I don't mind. It doesn't bother me a bit. Y'all can call me that if you want to. You can call me Brother Jeremy. You can call me Miss Langley's husband. You can call me, just don't call me late for lunch, okay? And so, uh, but I don't mind a bit. I don't mind being known as Truett's dad. Heard kids say, there's Truett's dad. It doesn't bother me a bit. There's some things I don't want to be called. I remember, uh, you know, we don't really like being compared to our siblings, do we? Very often, a lot of times. I remember being in the sixth grade. I told some of the guys this, this before church this morning. I was in the sixth grade in my math class, and my math teacher, she just said she expected more out of me because she remembers when my older sister was in her class. And now, my older sister grew up to be a high school math teacher. I didn't, okay? I just, this math is not my subject. But, but going back to Walmart the other day, I think about that lady, and she said, there's Miss Langley's husband. Now, she could have looked at her daughter, and she could have said, hey, there's Jeremy Langley. Wouldn't have been a thing to that little girl, would it? Because that little girl didn't know my name. She could have looked at her daughter and said, hey, look, there's the associate pastor of Brister Baptist Church. Wouldn't have meant a thing. Although that little girl has seen me at Awana, she doesn't know my job title. She probably doesn't know that I work here. Okay, wouldn't have meant a thing to that little girl. But when her mama said, there's Miss Langley's husband, she knew who I was. Even though she didn't know who I was, she knew who I was because she knows Miss Langley. Now, you've probably had the similar type thing happen to you, and we find a similar line of thinking in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 1. It's important to know that Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. And as he writes to his audience, he is writing with the purpose of proving that Jesus, this man that they know as Jesus, they may know who he is, but really he's writing to make sure they know who he is, that he is the chosen Messiah, that he is the Son of God. He tells this, uh, he opens up the book of Matthew as he writes here with this long genealogy, verses 1 through 17, that we're not going to read through because I don't like reading that many biblical names, and so we're not going to read through those. It doesn't really apply to the sermon anyway, but he writes those to prove that Jesus is from the house and lineage of David, just like the Messiah was foretold to be. And then he tells the story that we're all familiar with, and he tells his account of the baby Jesus being born of a virgin. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But when Matthew finishes, as he tells his story, 
He wants to make sure they know beyond a shadow of a doubt. They just don't know Jesus' name, but they know who he is. They find out that there's so much more to the story than just a baby lying in a manger. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you've recorded here the passage in such a way that just like the original audience, we can leave here today knowing for sure who Jesus is. And Father, I pray that if there's one here in this room who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today will be the day that they put their faith and trust in him. And I pray that you would move in a way that only you can to cause that to happen. Father, use me this morning, whatever you'd have me to say that is needed here. I pray that you'd take these words, that we'd all apply them to our hearts so that we can have the message that you have for us in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's so much we could focus on in these few verses uh, from Matthew chapter 1 this morning. We could look here at Mary's betrothal to Joseph. We could look at that, that Jewish tradition of how they would have this engagement period and he would go and build a house onto his father's house that they would live in, a room onto his father's house. And 10 years ago, Mary's sure happy that that wasn't the way we do things. Ladies, aren't you? And so we could talk about all that. We could talk about... Uh, Joseph being a just man, it says here in verse 19, and we could talk about what that means and what an impact that made on Jesus, I'm sure, having a just man as his earthly father. We could talk about the child being conceived of the Holy Spirit and what a bedrock, just a, a foundational principle that is within our doctrine, within what we believe. But what we're going to focus on for just a few minutes this morning is a different promise that's in the text. It's the promise of the baby's name. You're probably not surprised at all that I'm going to preach about a name this morning. Wrapping up tonight, wrapping up our series on the names of God from the Old Testament, and one of them's in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. There's a couple different names 
mentioned here. You see there in verse 18, Matthew says, this is the birth of Jesus Christ. We could talk about the name Jesus Christ, those two names together, but we're not going to do that this morning. We get down to verse 21, and the angel tells Joseph, she, being Mary, will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. We could talk about the name Jesus this morning, but we're not going to focus on that in uh, just by itself today. You see, we got down to verse 25, and Joseph was obedient. He did call his name Jesus. Verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Three different names, essentially, Jesus Christ, Jesus, and Emmanuel mentioned here. And you say, well, this gets confusing. The prophet Isaiah said, name him Emmanuel. Now the angel says, name him Jesus, so they named him Jesus. What is it? Well, there's no doubt, really quick, we'll go through this really quick, there's no doubt the baby's name is Jesus. That is his given name, Jesus. And what a name it is. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those on heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. I want to stop for just a second and say that one day every knee will bow. Your knee's going to bow and my knee's going to bow. One day Satan's knee is going to bow at the feet of Jesus and proclaim that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the greatest name ever given. That's what the Apostle Paul said. That's what we find all throughout Scripture. So you can give your heart to Jesus today, or you can just say, well, I don't need any of that, and one day you're going to find out you're wrong. I heard about an atheist that died not long ago, and I said he's not an atheist anymore. He believes in Jesus now. So we back up there to verse 18, and we found Jesus Christ. Now, you might run into somebody on the street, and they may think Christ is his last name, but it's not. You know, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. Sometimes you find it Christ Jesus. Sometimes you find it Jesus Christ. Both are the same. Christ is his title. Christ simply means Messiah. Jesus means Savior. Christ means Messiah. When he's referred to as Jesus Christ, the author, or the, the writer here is just trying to make sure we know that his audience knew this is the promised Messiah. Christ is his title. Jesus is his name. So what is this deal with Emmanuel? This is as if Matthew's putting an exclamation point on it. As if Matthew says, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Oh, you don't realize who that is. Well, that's Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. Okay, you still don't know who Jesus Christ is. Let me tell you who he is. He's God. See, if anybody knew who God was, the Jewish people knew who God was, Matthew says this. God in the flesh. Jesus wasn't called Emmanuel by his friends at school or whatever because that wasn't his name. That's who he is. And in order to fully understand this name that we're going to look at this morning, we've got to go first go back to Isaiah chapter 7 where this prophecy is given. That's what, what Matthew is quoting there in verses 22 and 23 is from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 where the promise was first made. 
Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. I like that. Stop talking and listen. That's what he said. Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear nor be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it. And let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tebel. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, he, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. There's a lot going on in that text. There's a whole lot going on, and we don't have time this morning. We'd be here all morning if we were to break all that down. So I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 7. Of course, we find that the Hebrew people, Israel, has broken into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, keeping the name Israel, sometimes here referred to as Ephraim in our text, and then we have the southern kingdom of Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where the Davidic monarchy reigns, is in Judah. And so you got Syria and you got Israel wanting to go to war with Judah. But did you see what happens there in verse 1 at the end? It says, they could not prevail. God's on 
Judah's side. We continue just a, a quick Cliff Notes version through this text, and we look there in verse 4. Again, I love it. Isaiah says to the king, take heed and be quiet. It's God's turn to talk now. And he says there that uh, what to tell him, do not fear. Don't be afraid of these two. God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of all this if you have faith. You get down there to verse 9, and it says, if you don't believe, you're on the way out too. If you don't believe, you won't be established. And so here we get to, that's what's going on. That's the background. Syria and Israel coming to war against Judah. And he says, look, in verse 11, ask a sign from the Lord. In other words, ask for something to strengthen your faith. You remember Gideon putting out the fleece in an effort to, to con- ask God to confirm what he said, to strengthen his faith. But Ahaz is arrogant. I don't need that. Got this under control. So Isaiah says, well, here's what the Lord has to say. You're not going to ask for a sign He's going to give you a sign anyway, and I don't think you're going to like it. He says there in verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Now there's something we need to know about biblical prophecy. There is always a message for the present-day person. There is always a message in the immediate context, and there's always a future promise. We find that here. We find a message for the king, a message for the people of Judah, and we find a future promise fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. What's the message here? The message here is that Syria's going down. Israel's going down. Find out later, Judah's going down too. How quick? As quick as a baby can be conceived and be raised to the age where he knows the basics of good and evil. Now, according to the biblical scholars that I read, about 18 months. You know, you take an 18-month-old, and uh, they know what the word no means, right? They're supposed to, okay? 18-month-old picks up something they're not supposed to have, and you say no. They know what that means. Now, whether they put it down or not is a whole other story. We're not going to get into that parenting skill this morning. We don't have time for that. So anyway, Isaiah prophesies that within somewhere between two and a half to three years, he says the northern kingdom's going to fall. He says Syria's going to fall. And it's all going to happen within that timeline. We get down to verse 17. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house. Days that have not come since the days of Ephraim departed from Judah. So in other words, hey, because you don't have faith to let God take care of it, Judah's going to fall too. And what's the significance of that? The significance of all that is that's where the Davidic monarchy reigned. God promised David, your household will reign forever. The people there in Jerusalem thought nothing can touch us. God's made a promise. Our king will sit on the throne. So through the prophet Isaiah, God promises, I'm going to reestablish the monarchy. I'm going to reestablish the throne of David. And it's going to happen when the virgin conceives. And when the virgin conceives and gives birth, 
she's not just given birth to any baby. She's given birth to Emmanuel, which means God with us. The baby she gives birth to will be God himself. There was a promise made. The throne was going to fall, but it was going to be reestablished one day. And we go back to Matthew chapter 1. We find that the promise was made in Isaiah. And Matthew tells his reader, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. The virgin conceived. The baby was born. Those are powerful, miraculous things, wonderful stories. But the most amazing part of the Christmas story It's not the virgin birth in and of itself. The most amazing part of the Christmas story is the baby in the manger. It's the fact that the baby in the manger is God himself. Just a few pages over from where we were in Isaiah, we find the text that Brother Eric read this morning before Brenda came and sung. And he said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I heard a sermon not too long ago, and the preacher said, Something I had never thought of before. It blew my mind. I said, did you hear that? Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Why are those two different things? Why didn't you say unto us a child is born? Because the son wasn't born. The son was given. The son has existed since all eternity past. The son didn't have to be born. The child was born. The son was given. The baby in the manger is God himself. God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. To his disciples in the upper room in John chapter 14, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Isaiah made a promise. Matthew said, God keeps his promises. But you know, if we turn to the end of the book of Matthew, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew comes full circle. He said, the promise was kept. Emmanuel came. The baby in the manger is God himself, God with us. God made a promise to Isaiah. God kept his promise. But what now? Some of you have seen on social media, I'm sure, some of the posts. It says how it started and how it's going. You have it on two different sides, you know. Some of them are serious. Some of them are funny. You might have a first date picture and then a wedding. How it started, the first date, how it's going, the wedding day, you know, that kind of thing. How it started, how it's going. That's kind of the way Matthew writes his gospel. Chapter 1, how it started. Chapter 28, how it's going. This is still how it's going today. We find that Jesus has been crucified. Jesus rose to life on the third day for some 40 days, according to Luke and Acts chapter 1. For some 40 days, Jesus was witnessed by people as he appeared to people all over Jerusalem. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, we find him giving his final marching orders to his disciples. Matthew 28, 16, the last verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Then the eleven disciples, because you remember Judas isn't in the picture anymore, the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why is that? Because he's God. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Did you hear that? Jesus gave them their marching orders. He says, here's what you're to do. You're to take the things I've taught you, and you're to go teach them to other people. And then what are they to do? They're to teach them to other people. What are you and I sitting here at Brister Baptist Church supposed to do? It is your job, just as much as it is my job, to teach people what you know about Jesus Christ. It is your job, just as much as it is my job, to live in such a way that we point people to Jesus Christ. That is our job as disciples. If you are saved by the blood of Jesus, you are called to be a disciple, and you are called to make disciples under the Great Commission. That's what Jesus said. And you said, well, that's hard to do. You know, getting the courage to do that, getting the courage to share my faith, getting the courage to tell, what if I mess up? Well, you go read where you messed up and then go correct it later. Do the best you can, and you do what you can, and God will, God will take it the rest of the way. God will take it the rest of the way. But here's how we do this. Here's how these disciples did it. I stopped reading early in verse 20. Go back to verse 19 at the beginning of the sentence. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, he says, and lo, in other words, and listen to this, pay attention. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. As Jesus stood on that mountain with his disciples, he reminded them of the promise that God made to Isaiah. When Isaiah said, you know what? The throne's going to be reestablished by Emmanuel, by God himself. Matthew started the gospel account out saying, hey, God kept his promise because you know who was born. You know who arrived. Emmanuel. And Jesus stands there on the mountain before he ascends talking to his disciples and he reminds them, hey, I'm going to be with you always because do you know who I am? I'm Emmanuel. Matthew starts his gospel account reminding us that Jesus came to be here as God in the flesh and Jesus reminds us here at the end of Matthew's account of exactly who he is. He is the God who is with us. He is Emmanuel. That's who he was then. That's who he is today. We live our life every day with the assurance of knowing that Jesus Christ is still Emmanuel today. And there's one more thing you need to know. The baby who came in a manger, the baby who is Emmanuel, not a baby anymore, the one who is Emmanuel. He came once, He's coming again. I want you to see something that I never saw this way until studying for this message. It's all through the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, that he is present with us, is all throughout Scripture. 
And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you've heard this before. You've heard this at funerals before. You've heard this here from this pulpit before. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. It says, Then the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are, uh, who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We will always be with the one who is always present with us. Eternity with Jesus. The thing is, we don't have to wait till eternity to be present with Jesus, do we? As we prepare for our invitation hymn, this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you say, I don't know what it's like to have Jesus present with me each and every day, I promise you, He's with you, even if you don't realize it. But if you want to be counted in that number who one day meets Him in the clouds, there's one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul said that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart God raised Him from the dead, we'd be saved. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never called on him this morning, would you do that? Would you come and either during the invitation or after, allow Brother Eric or myself to tell you more about how you can be certain that you spend eternity with Jesus, the one who came to be with you for all of eternity. Whatever the Lord's laid on your heart, let's take care of it as we stand and sing. Number six.